church family. He's a new part of our church family. Uh, when did you graduate from Harding, Brian? In 1998, Brian graduated from Harding University, which is a Christian college and in Arkansas, correct? And he actually has a youth ministry degree, um, but he's a computer programmer, software programmer now. Um, he crushes bugs all day long. That's what he says. Computer bugs. And so he is going to bring the word today. So would you welcome Brian as he shares with us? And the service is yours, my friend. Thank you, Scott. Am I on? Can you hear me? All right. All right. Very good. So uh, it's been a great uh, journey uh, to get to this point. Uh, God has used some uh, Nazarenes at different points in my life, uh, even though I didn't grow up in this tradition. Uh, my youth ministry used a lot of James Dobson tapes and things like that, and I, I know that he's uh, kind of well-known uh, and proud, uh, proud of uh, the Nazarene church and what it does. But uh, we have some close friends that we would go to camp with over in Michigan, and uh, it was an Eastern Michigan district uh, camp meeting, so I, through the past 15 years, I've kind of had an introduction to uh, what it means to uh, journey alongside uh, people of faith that really love God and love the word and love sound teaching. And uh, that reminds me of everything that I've grown up with and uh, the non-denominational churches that I, I, I was taught and raised in. So uh, I actually have a slide on John Wesley, which would be new for me. I, didn't, I would have never preached with John Wesley before, but it, just, it actually happened naturally. It was not because I was here that I put it in. It happened out of my own studies. Uh, uh, that I uh, decided to include him. But anyway, enough about all that. Me and my wife, we like butterflies. Well, Deanna likes butterflies. And I've been teaching the uh, fifth to sixth grade class about parables. And uh, Caleb and Oakley, they, they know my, the first question I'm going to ask is, what's a parable? And there's like, it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And I've kind of done a creative take on things that butterflies do and drawn different parallels to the Christian walk. And um, it's just kind of a creative skeleton for my message today, uh, but we'll dive into a, a passage here in a minute uh, that talks about how, how much faith we have to have to get started in a successful walk with the Lord. So here we go, let's see if this works here. Yeah, there is Deanna's butterfly enclosure. I do not always do a good job on birthday presents, but when I know what she wants, for sure, I get very excited. So I built this wooden enclosure, and we put our milkweed plants inside of this. And some of you know, but others of you don't realize that these ugly things that grow on the side of our interstates uh, can nurture this beautiful thing that God has made. So great things start small. If I handed you this leaf, this tiny little dot, you might not even see it. It's not exactly microscopic, but it, it feels that way when I'm trying to look at them these days with my uh, sight. It's a little difficult. But there it is. And, um, I had Oakley and Caleb take a guess. How far do you think this thing that's going to hatch and grow, how far do you think it will go in its lifetime? And naturally, you might guess a few miles. But... Uh, Later on, we'll learn exactly how far they go. I won't give it away. I'll leave that as a teaser for later. And there's that caterpillar. He's made it out of his egg, and he's still very 
fragile. And in our walk, uh, both inside the Lord and outside the Lord, we often feel vulnerable in this world. What will you do to feel protection? What will you do to live an orderly life and succeed? And people make different choices, and uh, I want to encourage you to make the right choice in your walk. And we see here on the milkweed plant, he's continuing to grow. And now we're going to jump into Matthew 17, where Jesus talks about the size of the faith you need to change your world. Um, And in this story, you're going to notice three groups of people. I'll point them out. And they're all having a crisis. And Scott mentioned last week, sometimes you're looking at your life like this house that needs cleaning up and you are, you've got so many things going wrong you don't even know where to start. How am I going to turn this around? And so I want to dive into this a little bit. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. And Jesus, I think, goes really harsh, really quick. It surprised me what he said in response to this. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy. And he was healed from that moment. And so the disciples are scratching their head because just a few chapters back, Jesus had passed on some of his abilities to, and given some authority to drive out unclean spirits. And perhaps they had had a lot of success up until this point, and all of a sudden things have fallen apart. So that's crisis number one. Maybe you see yourself in the story as uh, a follower of Jesus, an earnest and honest, trying to trying to do my best to do what he said, and things have been working up to a point, but now something new has happened in my life, and this, this faith walk didn't, didn't help me cross this threshold like I thought it would. I've crossed so many other thresholds, but not this one. What is going on? And does anybody care? I thought we were part of this ministry, but maybe I'm actually on the outside of this ministry. That's a crisis for these disciples. <clears throat> He says, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Now, there's a lot of different interpretations of of what was going on in the disciples' minds. I think of uh, Zion learning to ride his bike, and uh, that first day, he just kind of takes off, and we're like, whoa. There was no extra hand-holding. It was like he immediately was starting to pedal around the block. And so we said, okay, good. He's ready to go on the family bike ride. And so we all get together, and we go to the metro parks. And it was nerve-wracking following behind him because as soon as the trail took a sharp turn, he went straight into the ditch, the, the sharp turn. It's like he did not know how to control these new powers that he had. And he was very excited because he was free didn't need those training wheels anymore. And he could go places, but sometimes he didn't know how to 
control it. He was inexperienced. It was all new for him. And so that could have been a, a part of it. Maybe the disciples were excited about these new abilities Jesus had given them, uh, but they, they were enamored with what they could do, and they were starting to look more at themselves. We know that with Peter in the boat. He starts to walk in faith, and then, he's, then he becomes enamored with the situation. He's like, wait, I can't do this. I'm not supposed to be able to do this. So he kind of throws on the brakes in a different way. But whatever it was, this particular unclean spirit, Jesus had to step back into the situation and said, because of your little faith, you couldn't do this. King James actually says it in a much stronger way. He doesn't say little faith. It says, because of your unbelief, you couldn't do this. So maybe at some point, even though the disciples are right there with Jesus, we believe, but Jesus is saying, no, you, you don't still. You were believing in yourself again, perhaps. Now, what does he say if you do have small faith like a mustard seed? He says, you can tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it'll move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And that's a familiar refrain in our Christian teaching, that you can move mountains with faith. And What do we do with these situations where we have a crisis? Are we still walking in faith? Do we believe that Jesus can really change our situation? Or do we just become completely overwhelmed with the size of what needs to be done? So there's, um, <clears throat> there's other groups in this story. Maybe you don't see yourself as the honest follower of Jesus. Maybe you're a skeptic or maybe you're somewhere else. Let's look at this situation. There's the disciples who are worried about their inability. There's a crowd of onlookers, some of whom, if you read the other gospel accounts, we know there's teachers of the law there, and uh, they are the establishment. They are having a, a different kind of crisis. Jesus has recently been in one of their synagogues and read the scrolls, and he says, this, this prophecy today has been fulfilled in your presence. And... <clears throat> He's gaining traction among the people that need help. They're starting to listen to him. And the establishment is threatened by that, so to speak. These Pharisees, these are terrible colors. I'm sorry about that. So, but, you know, their notes for me, it helps me to just stay right where I need to be. So, there you go. I'll, I'll, re- I'll tell you what's on there. So, the disciples, here they are these honest-to-God followers trying to do what's right. And then there's the establishment looking on. It's like, we know about this Jesus, and we don't like what he's talking about. We don't like that he's gaining traction. We don't approve because he's not part of our pedigree. He's just a carpenter from some town, and he's got his head full of all these ideas. We're not going to let this guy on the inside. And don't you think they were overjoyed when the disciples fell right on their face. I know you have people in your life, perhaps, that are the skeptics or the established position of our culture, the pop culture. There are people who say, see, I told you you were going to fail. Your Christian understanding of things is inadequate. You can't do this. You're not on the inside track of what's approved, politically correct, or you're not in on the science. You guys don't base your life on 
empirical data and things that are sensible, you guys are misled. And so that's one kind of critic that I'm giving voice to. But we, you know, we can be in that slot sometimes as the established religion. We've all been raised, many of us have been raised to know what's right. And we know how to put on a certain air. And we can, I often read myself into these stories in slot number two. And I'm totally comfortable with where my religion is at. Do I have a burden for the person in slot number three, the father and his sick boy? Deanna comes home to me from her rounds in Lorain County. She's a social worker. She hears all kinds of stories. And uh, I am so heartbroken for some of these kids that haven't been taught of God. And they, they make weird decisions. She had a couple of girls come to her and say, we need some help. And she's like, well, what's, what's going on? I was like, well, we, we were on YouTube and we, uh, we summoned a demon. And he... He abused my friend. And there's, there's two ways I can look at that as a Mr. Established Christian. Oh, well, the world's gone to heck in a handbasket. Of course, they probably weren't raised in a church, so they're susceptible to any old thing. But um, do we want to reach the confused with the healing power of Jesus. There's a compassion, a compassionate response that we need to have to that. We need to take a little bit of faith and believe that Jesus can change this broken culture and a broken life. Um, it's not just uh, we, we often pray for the sick but, and we often pray for our nation, but do we then stand back and say, well, they better get with the program like we've been with the program for a lot of years. I'm waiting for them to get with the program. And I think that's just a temptation. I've seen it in my own life to not be completely broken about what needs fixing. And once I get more broken about it and start relying again on Jesus and what he would do, I think that's when our world starts to change the way that God wants to change it. There's a lot of ways to change things. So, once that butterfly hatches and he's eaten that milkweed plant, we'll get into the milkweed plant in a minute. It's a very interesting plant. It goes places you might not ever guess. <clears throat> they migrate. They're the only insect that migrates. They'll go 3,000 miles, <clears throat> depending on what part of the United States they're on. Uh, they can go all the way up from Canada, all the way down to Mexico, to these oyatel trees. And they all, it's weird. I'll show you a picture in a minute of these trees. They just flock on these trees. They, they, they migrate because of the weather, the warmth, or the, they sense the winter coming. This is another thing that science can't quite completely explain is how these things happen, but it's a very interesting phenomenon. But to me, that's like moving a mountain. I think if you told that little caterpillar, there's no way you're gonna be able to go 6,000 miles. I just don't know how that's gonna happen, but it doesn't know any better. It does what God designed it to do. It does not worry. It does not labor or spin. It just, God, God empowers it to go. God empowers it to go the distance. And if we try and overwhelm ourselves with the task of redeeming our nation, so to speak, and hoping for it to be restored, we, uh, we will talk ourselves out of faith. We just need a little faith, and we need to do our little part. And 
here's, here's the most important thing I think that we're missing is uh, in a, uh, this milkweed, you break it apart and it's like white paint that comes out of it almost. These caterpillars are eating this stuff and um, it protects them from evil. That is the birds. Birds cannot eat this plant. It makes the birds sick or it, it kills them and it, it does not penetrate. I mean, the, the, the insect is protected. This I liken to what the word of God can do for us. And so there they are going to town and uh, this is a regular task. I'll come home from work or I'm always home now because it's remote. Dia's like, I need some more milkweed plants. Go over to IGA, there's a parking lot across and she knows she's got her favorite spot. And uh, they're building a new drug mart off of Lorraine Road there and uh, Deanna called Drug Mart headquarters and gave them an earful. It's like, you don't know what you've done. <laughs> she's, she's a caterpillar activist, but anyway. <laughs> here we have a picture of them going to town, and I compare that to this picture right here of people going to town, reading the Bible. And there she is, God's word and nothing else. Nothing else will change your marriage like God's word. God's word is a model of how to live. It's a complete model how to live in balance. Nothing will change your marriage by bathing it in prayer and learning how God's word and God's will wants to put things in balance and for you to cherish one another. Nothing will change your relationship with your children like God's word. When we live out those values that we learn about where Jesus puts his own disciples above himself, he washes their feet, he serves them, Nothing else will change our nation like God's word, but we change it by ingesting it ourselves, talking about what we've learned. We don't always learn it right. Someone else will correct us and say, no, this is how it has played out in my life. We've got to come together and talk about what we've learned in God's word. And this slide I am going to skip. This would be more of a class. All right. The word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And I do find it very fascinating when I go back and read through the Proverbs, whatever those writers were struggling with a few thousand years ago are, are the same things that I struggle with too. Why does that evil man prosper? And why does God sometimes allow certain things to happen that don't, don't make sense? They struggled with it too. People have been struggling with God ever since the Bible was handed to us, so to speak, as men wrote it out, inspired by his spirit. People have been rejecting it from day one. <laughs> it's not something new. It's not like God's lost some ground all of a sudden here in 2021. It's the same old thing. <clears throat> And we have to do the same old thing, of going back into the word, and it will transform us individually, then it will transform our families, and then it transforms the entire nation. So, Psalm 119, 103. Getting into that caterpillar that eats the milkweed plant, <clears throat> we have another eating analogy. How sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Ezekiel, he's going to be a prophet to Israel, 
And before he can start his ministry, he needs to ingest God's word. I just, I love, I love these pictures that it paints. And he said to me, son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the people of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me the scroll to eat. And it just paints that picture that this is not just a, a fast, um, inspirational word for the day. You need to spend some time ingesting and letting it go through your bloodstream. And you've got to believe that God has got this. You've got to believe that he wants to lead you just like he led his disciples and tenderly corrected them or as we read in this passage, it seemed kind of abruptly, <laughs> but he corrected them and said, you got to have faith. Your unbelief is stopping you from succeeding. You don't believe you can do this, but it's really me that you need to rely upon. So I spoke of a nation in crisis, and here's your John Wesley slide. There you go, right, little points, right? He's in the uh, 18th century, and We've got the Industrial Revolution happening, or starting to. Labor conditioning, conditions are getting pretty horrible. Uh, the Europe that he's a part of, the European country he's in, and in is um, starting to import slave labor and uh, participating in that. It's also known as the gin age. There's a rampant alcoholism that also leads to child abuse and uh, one of the stats is that children before the age of five, three out of four of them were expected to die. And uh, some of this history that I've gotten out of this book, it goes in much more detail about the decline of Europe. There is a Church of England or Anglican church that John Wesley has grown up in. He's, he's religious, but in general, the church has collapsed in its effectiveness to transform culture. And here he is in this context of deterioration. How can all of this be turned around? And he, he took a trip to America, and upon his return, he came back and he was talking to some Christians in London that made him realize, I've only been a Christian in name only. Even though when I, I really read it, I have a hard time seeing that. That's what he said. It's like, I, I got to get real. I've been in that second category of just enjoying my safe religious position. But I see people hurting everywhere around me. And I want to see God succeed in this scenario again. And he kind of had this born-again moment. So getting back to the caterpillars. They get into position right before they turn into a chrysalis. They, they call it J-hooking. And I kind of see this happening in John Wesley's life as I was reading some of his history. He's like, you know what? I see the Bible really convicting me. And I, I see these, God has used these other Christians to show me that there's something more that could be done about the way I walk and the way I interact with the world. I've, I can't just stay with the elite, because that's all the church had uh, amounted to at that moment. It was, it was only for the, the privileged again. 
instead of reaching to the masses. So it wriggles and it kind of takes off its outer skin like a giant sock. And it's, it's a strange thing. It's, so it's not a cocoon, it's a chrysalis. A cocoon, some other types of animals actually spin this web of stuff. But no, he's on the inside. The chrysalis is on the, it's gonna come forth from the inside of it. It's a very strange thing to watch. Of course, I can't uh, resist the whole, you know, J for Jesus. But that is where we want to be to get our transformation. Um, we see in our society other people being transformed by bad information or by we're, we're going to transform this place by the power of our fists and our might and it's 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 a challenge to want to submit to jesus and love our enemy and pray for those who persecute us but that is what christ has called us to do and then after he sheds this sock, he goes into this chrysalis stage. How am I doing on time? I'll keep going and going and going. You get so, okay, all right. The chrysalis I liken to this thing called dark night of the soul. It's a theology, theological concept that I don't know I've ever heard anybody ever preach on it. But when I was reading on this a while back, uh, I think of Joseph. He's thrown into a pit by his brothers. He's the 11th of the 12 sons of Jacob. When you get thrown into a pit and all the distractions are taken away, you've got some time to think about things. Uh, later on, he's sold down the line. He's in Egypt, and things are going well again. Second, uh, he's at Potiphar's house, and then he gets thrown in, in jail. And he's got more time to think about things. And we know that he maintained his faith in what God was doing in his situation. Even though it was a bumpy ride for him, he did not, at least from what is revealed, he did not give up on his situation. And, uh, but I compare it to this chrysalis. It's a time of transformation. It's a time of all distractions being removed. And maybe you're going through a crisis right now, and it's God's way of getting your attention because you've had a lot of distractions, but now a crisis that you have to deal with is making you reevaluate everything. It's kind of like anesthesia. Without anesthesia, we might want to wriggle free from the operating table. But God has to use something to quiet you down. And sometimes he uses pain and crisis to do that. Because we weren't paying attention. We were riding our bike with this new freedom or this new energy or this trust in ourselves, whatever it was, and we're, we're going off into the ditch and not, not even realizing it, though. And we need to have this chrysalis moment, this time with the Lord where he works on us. Paul, we know, had a J-hook moment. I consider that where the light comes down and stops him. He's on his way to persecute Christians. God says, no, why do you persecute me? I am the Christ, because Paul asks, who, are, who, is, who is this voice? Who are you? I am the Christ who you persecute, Paul. But he didn't go right on out and then start his missionary journeys planting churches next week. If you read your New Testament, he mentions in a couple different places, he spent three years in Arabia. It's mentioned in Galatians and somewhere else. That's, that, to me, is another one of those chrysalis moments where I've got to spend some more time getting transformed, letting God work on me. 
And uh, what's interesting about these crystals is that science also can't explain, can't explain what it is. And I can't explain to you how God is going to transform you and what he will do in your life when you make yourself available to him and say, God, I want this. I've had faith in myself all this time, but now I know I, I need to change what I'm relying upon to make sense of my problem. I need to change what I'm relying upon that's going to give me hope for the future of my children. I'm going to change what I'm relying upon. I'm going to, I'm going to try and rely upon you, Lord. We've got to have a little bit of faith when we've got to feed that faith with the word. And then we've got to have a chrysalis moment where we're reduced to a chemical soup. That's what happens in there. They say if you cut it open, it looks like it's a soup. It's like there's no form. And somehow out of that soup, a new thing emerges. A new life comes forth. So you can see here right before it emerges, you can start to see what's about to come and emerge out of there. And uh, this, this slide I put in at a, at a different time when I kind of preached this a little different way, but um, another way of thinking of that chrysalis is the death, burial, and resurrection. We imitate Christ when we are buried uh, in baptism. And there's a sense that just as Jesus went into a tomb and emerged, we go into this chrysalis time with him and we are, we are baptized into the word. We're baptized into water. We are baptized and we come out a new creation. And eventually it becomes time to emerge a new creature. And uh, I can imagine if I traveled a little more uh, within these churches, you might, you might compare the chrysalis time to uh, what you call the full sanctification where you completely let go and say, I, I want to be fully transformed and become something new. I've been wandering around on the milkweed plant just eating occasionally and enjoying some protection from the word, but I've never really been fully transformed into what you would have me be, God. I've never fully allowed this to take hold. I've been scared, Lord, what you want to do with me. I'm scared that you're going to take me 6,000 miles all over the place. I, you know, some of Christians are weird. I don't know if I want to hang out with them all the time. <laughs> you know, you've got your reasons why you haven't gone full in on, on the Jesus thing. And even those of us who have maybe traveled a while in our faith have our reasons why we haven't gone full in on something Jesus is asking us to do. But we need to submit. And the monarch takes flight. And... Um, who knows where he will take you they say as I was reading John Wesley's history that he traveled in his itinerant preaching uh, a quarter of a million miles and he would wake up at four in the morning and he would divide his day into four parts and he'd spend four hours studying and they had I think four hours for eating and doing uh, mundane tasks and then they spent another four hours going out and preaching. So he got on fire and then he went places. And I'm not saying that when you emerge that you're going to do things the way John Wesley did, get on a horse and start preaching at places, but God sends you places already 
Be that new creature wherever he's sending you at. Don't try and cover it up and pretend like you're still just a caterpillar. You are a new thing. <laughs> and uh, this preaches to me as much as uh, to anyone in here. I, uh, I'm still good at, at hiding uh, the full beauty of who God wants me to be. And uh, I'm scared of what's next sometimes still. And that's, that's natural. Uh, but we want to be progressing in our faith. We want to welcome those times where God seems to shut everything down. And you're like, okay, Lord, you've removed all the distractions. Uh, Caleb said, yeah, you know, I'm not allowed to have my iPhone. I know exactly what this is like. <laughs> and uh, I mentioned that because uh, I think that would do us some good. We feed on a lot of other things besides just the Bible. You may have a, a somewhat healthy reading habit, but how many other things do you allow into your mind that shapes the way you think about the world? and fills you with fear, and fills you with angst, and fills you with, and you've got to decide who wrote that article, who produced that piece of news. Did they have the same concern that Jesus did for what's happening here? And sometimes they have good intentions, sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes they're riding the bike, but they are going off in a ditch. They mean well, but they're not controlled by the Spirit. We've got to become anchored in him and we'll walk a balanced life. We'll fly places we've never flown before. And that's what's, I think, exciting about this uh, walk with the Lord. I'm going to wrap up at this slide and uh, then I'll say a prayer and uh, also just kind of give, give the church props for being open to someone as new as me. And, uh, you know, Scott, new ministry, it says a lot, I think to share this space. It says, May the God of hope fill you with fill you all with <laughs> may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord heaven, we give you thanks. Uh, I do not deserve all the people you have put into my life, and yet you wanted to you saw fit to bless me anyway. Lord, many times we make decisions that show we prefer other things over putting the kingdom first, and we don't think it's going to be fulfilling. We, we have other interests that we think that will make us happier, and we just look at the surface of what's happening either on our news feed or the surface of what's happening at a church building. Maybe someone slighted us, and we thought, well, this isn't, this isn't you. You're not really in this. You've deserted us. Maybe we're like that father with a sick boy. We actually have a child that's not well in one way or another, and it's overwhelmed us. And he's asking, who will save me? Who will care about my condition? Lord, uh, just forgive me for not always having the compassionate response and being motivated to go out and reach those who have those needs. We know they're right here in Elyria. They're here in Moraine County. They're in Olmstead Falls. There's people that are asking, who cares about my crisis? Lord, let us not be comfortable anymore with just our familiar traditions, 
wringing our hands about all the things that are, have been lost through the decades. Help us to uh, look at someone even like Wesley, who, who had a little bit of faith <clears throat> and a whole lot of your word in, he ingested. Help us to get back to that, Lord. Help us to be people of the word. Help us to want to take it in. Help us to realize its nurturing value. Help us to really, really be transformed by it and just, and just love it all over again. It has transformed so many people through the years. Help us to look at what you've already done so many times. This problem that we face, whether it's a personal one or whether we think about our national one, it's not too big for you. You've, you've done this before, and you'll do it again, Lord. Lord, we love you so much. We need you so much. We need this moment together every Sunday, and we need more moments like it in between the Sundays, and we, we need for you to lead us back into that faithful following moment with you, and uh, Lord, we, we want that transformation, not just once at the beginning of a Christian law, but continually, Lord. Lord, we just need you, Lord. In Christ, I pray. Amen.